is Michelle Kwok, and I am, just a little bit about myself, um, I am on New Philly staff, um, and I just actually joined in July of this year, so I'm pretty new. Um, I think I'm one of the newest uh, staff members, and um, I joined specifically to build up uh, Kingdom First Prayer Tabernacle, which we'll talk about more later. Um, but I have a really special heart for uh, college ministry. I really love Emmaus. I love what you guys do, and I love, like, college ministry has a special place in my heart because that's actually where I met the Lord. Um, my, my freshman year of college, that's where I experienced true community and family. And that's where I fell in love with worship. That's how I really grew in the Lord. Um, and even though I ca- called myself a Christian my whole life, it wasn't really till college that I was yeah, walking with the Lord. So I believe that it's such a special time in your lives where you're seeking, um, and there's so much potential for God to unlock, um, and so much revelation in store for you guys. So, um, thanks for having me again. And, um, yeah, I'm just gonna, uh, share a bit from the word today, as well as a bit of my testimony and my journey. So if that's okay with you guys, it won't just, it won't really be like a sermon, be kind of short sharing about, um, yeah, tying in the word to my story. Um, so yeah, let's actually jump right into it. Let's open our Bibles. If you have a Bible to Matthew 19. Matthew 19, uh, verses 16 to 30. If you don't have one, then gently ask your neighbor if you can read along. (laughs) Okay, Matthew uh, 19, 16 to 30. I'm going to read from uh, the NIV. So I'll read and just uh, follow along. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth at the renewal of all things. When the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Amen. 
So basically in this passage, we have a, the young, the rich young man, and he's asking Jesus, whom he calls teacher, like, what, what can I do to get eternal life? And what, what good thing can I do? And, um, and this man thinks that it's about obedience. He thinks it's about, you know, the good works, the good things. And of course, Jesus, he knows this man's heart. He knows his past. He knows everything he's done. And yet he still walks him through this, like saying, you know, obey the commandments, right? Do everything. And he, he says, yeah, okay, I've done all those things. And I, th- I believe the reason that he, Jesus lays that out is so he can walk him through realizing, yeah, I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. Okay. So what do I still lack? You know? And, um, and he knows he still lacks something and Jesus knows it too. But Jesus knowing the heart of this man, um, addresses his specific condition, right? Jesus is, he's all about context and he's all about addressing your specific condition. He doesn't make these sweeping generalizations, right? Like he's not saying go sell your stuff. That doesn't mean that we're we're like, Oh, go sell your possessions. Like we all have to go sell our things. Like that's not what he's saying, but he's, he's saying that he wants full surrender because he knows this man's heart. He knows he has wealth and he knows that this is the one thing he holds on to. This is the one thing that for this man, he can't imagine living without this, right? He's done everything else, right? And, but he's like, what do I still have to do? Cause I have, I, I haven't gotten there yet. And, um, Jesus knows that his heart condition and, and knows that he has to surrender. And, um, it's not, it's not a universal commandment, right? Like the other ones do not steal, do not murder, right? That applies to everybody, but this is, it's not about the doing, right? It's not about the obedience. So he's not giving a universal commandment to obey. He's addressing the heart and he is asking for an exchange of the heart. He's asking not for actions, not for words, but he's saying that nobody, but God is good. Right. And, and we can't be good without God. So he's saying, I need an exchange. I need an exchange of heart. Behavior modification cannot buy you into the kingdom. Um, nor can worldly perfection, nor can good works, right? Jesus died and rose again, uh, to give us the full exchange for, for everything in our hearts, right? He wants everything in our hearts. And so everything that hinders love, especially, um, sorry. (laughs) So yeah, he wants all of your heart and all of the things that constitute your wealth, like, what is it that constitutes your wealth? Like, what is it that you hold on to and that you cannot let go of? Whether it's your grades, your pride, pleasing man, pleasing your parents, right? Um, there's a lot of things that can get in the way, that can hinder love. And in just a, a few chapters before, Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the thing is, we're so prone as humans to start to calculate everything. We get into like this, okay, so Jesus is saying um, to give away all my possessions. All right, so if I give this many possessions away, then can I get this much treasure? Like we're always like trying to calculate, right? Um, if I give this much of my heart, then can I get this much treasure? But the thing is, even that we're earning. We're like getting into earning mode. We're getting into performing mode. We're getting into striving, right? But God's whole point here is that he's just creating. He wants us to give those things away to create space for him to actually come and reward us. It's not because he's a selfish God and he wants all of our stuff. You know, it's like he wants to create space in your heart to come and to dwell with you and to give you all the treasures, right? Everything that you long for and more. Um, but it's only in surrendering and offering him everything. And, um, and that's, yeah, it's only in offering everything that we're able to increase our capacity to receive, right? Cause there's so much stuff taking up space in our hearts, but yeah, like we have to give that up in order to, to create 
new space for him to come and move. And so, and who, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want an increased capacity for love, right? If I offer you, if I say, Hey, do you want to receive more love? Will, will you say no? Nobody's, nobody's going to say no to that. Right. But that's, that's what God wants to do, but we read him wrong. Right. And we try to calculate. We're like, okay, I'll just give you this much, you know? Um, and, but of course we're weak. Of course we're human and we, our flesh is, is weak and we feel like we can't surrender those things. Right. But that's why God says like with man, it's impossible, but God with God, it's possible. And see, Jesus never expected us to be able to do it in the first place. Like that's why he died. He never expected us to be able to not only do good works on our own, but even to surrender all of that, even that we need his help. Right. Um, and so I have just like a simple analogy for you guys, but think of it like this, like pretend that you're moving, like you're moving out of your, your home, your place, and you're preparing to move to a better place. And you're packing all of your stuff with you, all of your prized possessions. Right. Um, and then God's like, Hey, you shouldn't take any of that with you. Don't, don't pack it up. And then you're like, why? Like, I won't have anything when I move into my new place. What do you expect to, you know? And, and then he says, you think that what you have now is so precious and you think it's so hard to let go of. But when you move into the new place, do you know what this new place is? It's my presence. It's my house. You won't even want those things. You won't even want it. It's all, it all pales in comparison. And when you see the reward that I have for you, the eternal joy, the pleasure, the affection, from Jesus himself, none of that's even going to matter. And, and so the more that you strip away, the more that the less that you pack with you, right? The more, the less baggage you have with you, the more room you'll have in your new house really for the infinitely better things that he has for you. And, and he's like, God's like, you don't want to waste space with all that luggage. Trust me. You don't want to waste space, you know? And, and then not only that, but he's like, he's like knocking on your door. He's like offering He's like, Hey, can I come in to help you pack up and, and move out and take out your trash? Basically, I'll take out your trash for you again. Who's going to say no to that and clean up everything. I'll clean up everything, but you got to let him in, you know, like he's not going to just bust down the door. Like he's knocking. He's like, can I come in? I want to help you. I want to take out your trash. I want to clean up so that you can move, move into my place. And, and so that's like his, his question is, will you say yes? Like, will you accept his offer to help? us surrender so that we can move into this new place, the new place of intimacy, of his presence, of his fullness. And then from that place, be able to receive all of his love and operate from an overflow. Right. Um, and if we say yes, then we'll be able to give him love offerings that, that he never even asked for that. We just want to bless him with out of the overflow. Right. Like, don't you sometimes look at those people who love Jesus so much and they give so much to him and you're like, how are you able to do that? And it's because they're doing it, not because they're trying to earn anything, but they're doing it because they've already moved into that new place and they can't help themselves. So don't strive for that measure before you've even moved in. Don't compare yourself to that before you've even moved into the new place. Um, and so, yeah, he's saying, will you say yes? Because like, do you want to know what the better portion is? Do you want to know what the better home is? Um, and so here's where I'll share a bit of my, my story, my testimony with you guys. Um, so for me, one of my prized possessions, uh, was approval, approval from my parents and from people, but God led me on a journey where his mercy allowed me to, to release it and, uh, and to follow him fully. So, um, yeah, when I was seven years old, um, my mom, she got sick with pancreatic cancer. She suffered a stroke and, um, she was 
uh, a strong woman of God, and she was a very generous woman of God. Um, and yeah, when I was seven, she actually passed away, and um, it left my dad and my sister and me. Um, and my sister was already 18 at that time, but I was only seven. So my dad didn't really know how to raise me by himself. And, um, he, and so a, a bit later he got remarried to my now stepmom who, um, yeah, they got married around when I was turning nine. And so she, my stepmom, she had a really hard life. She had a life of hardship of poverty. And so, you know, looking at, she had never been married before, but looking at me, um, and my dad, it was, she empathized. And even though she had never had children of her own, she, she adopted me as her daughter in marrying my dad. And yeah, she sacrificed a lot. She sacrificed a ton to give me a life that she thought was the best for me, which in many ways was the life that she couldn't have herself. Right. And, um, at first I was really grateful because like before she entered my, like after she entered my life, I started doing really well in school and in music, like getting straight A's first chair, of this band, first chair, of that orchestra playing the flute. And, and so I felt good about myself, you know, I was like, yeah, she's helping me. Right. And I started living for perfection in school and, and in music. And I lived really to please her. Um, and you might ask like, where's, where's your dad in the picture? Like, did you live, live to please him? And my dad, actually, he wasn't as hard to please. And so she became the standard. She became the authority uh, by which I measured myself and thought, what is good enough? But it was never good enough. <laughs> and the older I got, the more the conflict arose, the more, the worse, the verbal and emotional abuse got occasionally even physical abuse. And, and given that she herself had never received the, the love of Jesus Christ, it was hard for her to freely give a pure love and affection away. If you haven't received it, you can't really give it away. And, um, a love that doesn't ask for anything in return. And, and this is one way actually the enemy had ravaged her life um, and had lied to her, like keeping her in bondage to a life of earning and of achieving and doing what she thought was good works to feel righteous, right? But um, no matter how much death was spoken over me by her, and really it's through by the enemy, right? And I'm not trying to demonize her at all, but, but you have to get this. The enemy often uses people closest to us to speak lies to us because he doesn't play fair. He doesn't. And, and so no matter how many lies and how much death was spoken over me, you're fat, you're dumb, you're slow, you're irresponsible, and you're never good enough. I was still so determined to please her and, and to prove her wrong. Like I so badly wanted to be like, I can do it though. I can, I am, I am going to be successful someday. And I wanted to attain her approval. And it got to a point where I hated myself and I wanted to die. And this was in high school. Um, but I was too scared to physically hurt myself, which that was the grace of God. But, um, but deep inside, I knew that I needed God and I knew it was my last chance at life. And really that looking back is like, that was God pursuing me because why else would I want God? Right. But I knew that somewhere I was like, I need God. I think this is my only chance at hope. So anyway, I got into college. I got into Duke, which is a pretty good school, but it's not an Ivy league. Therefore, I wasn't good enough. Um, but I thought, you know, this is an eight-hour drive from my home, far enough away where I can escape. escape. And um, even though my mom says I can't go to church and I can't join a Christian fellowship, I'm going to do it. And this is my form of rebelling in you guys. <laughs> but, uh, but it became a time of, of intense spiritual warfare my college years. Because what happened was, as I mentioned before, I, uh, college ministries where I found the Lord, right? I encountered community. I, I was part of something called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And, um, 
I encountered community. I encountered God. I encountered freedom and joy in many ways. But the more truth that I encountered, the more I also felt torn about what my stepmom had me doing and what she was telling me to study and how she was trying to control my life, and um, which was being pre-med to become a doctor eventually. And um, the opposition, the opposition intensified. Not just the opposition to um, me being like, hey, so what if I study something else? But the opposition to my Christianity, my walk with the Lord intensified. And countless times I wept. I wept myself to sleep and I hated myself for not being able to like worship God through my studies, right? Like I would open my organic chemistry book and be like, God, help me to worship you right now, (laughs) you know? But it didn't work. I wasn't getting good grades in my organic chemistry and my physics classes. And I just felt depressed. I felt worthless. And I thought that I wasn't honoring my parents, the Bible says to honor your parents. I'm not doing this, but I also don't find joy in this. I'm not worshiping you. So I feel like I fail in every area, you know? And I hated that I couldn't prove her wrong. I hated that I couldn't attain her approval, you know? Um, and so that only got worse. And, um, and you know, God never gave, I, I prayed the prayers, God, if you want me to go to medical school, then, then give me a love for this subject matter. Give me a heart to really do this and um, create an an open door for me because with these grades, I'm never going to get in. Right. So I surrendered it. But the more I did that, the more I just didn't want to study this. And I, I, in fact, I fell more into ministry, into worship, into, um, community. That was the only thing I found joy in. And so finally my senior year, I uh, actually was disowned by my, my stepmom. And she said that she gave up on me and she's like, don't come back home. Uh, don't talk to me anymore. Don't ask me for help. You're on your own now. You live your life. You do what you want. And yes, I was very, it was hurtful, but it was also God's mercy. It was God's amazing mercy. And I didn't realize it at the time, but it was God doing the impossible for me. So what was impossible for me is that I could not move my mom's heart. I couldn't do it. And I couldn't let go of this performance mentality of this approval issue, right? that I had cultivated for so long, for so many years, I couldn't let go. So God in his mercy released me from all of that. He released me from the grip of the enemy. He released me from the grip. And, um, it was only when I was disowned and truly stripped of everything that I had worked for until that point that I could say humbly to God, I am fully yours. My life is a blank slate before you. Like after that, I was like, I I remember weeping before the Lord, like, I've just wasted, I thought I wasted eight years of my life, four years of high school, four years of college being pre-med to try to attain this goal and to try to please somebody that wasn't ever going to be pleased in the first place. Why did you make me go through this? And I was so angry, but then I realized, man, but God, you freed me and my life, I can do, I can live for you now. Like I don't have to experience this, like this tug of war right? It's, I had full freedom to really follow him with no hindrance. And before it was a constant push and pull. Like before I would have to, when I went home for winter, spring breaks, I'd hide my Bible because I would be accused of only reading the Bible and Christian books. And, you know, I didn't want to hear about it. So I would hide my Bible. And then I would, I would suggest other career paths gently. Like, what if I did psychology? What if I did this instead? What if I explored something else? But they all got shot down immediately. And, and I would have to be really secretive about my, all my Christian activities and about church. A lot of times I would lie about it, even though she probably knew. And, but now after I was disowned, I realized God is helping me to let go of everything that held me from the fullness of his presence and freedom in him. 
And, and that's when God stirred in my heart, actually a desire to, um, to go to the nations, to go on missions and to see the world and to gain his heart, um, for his kingdom. And something that I would never have even thought of doing before. I never would have allowed myself to even go there because I only allowed myself to think what, what basically my mom thought, like, okay, I have to, I have to go to medical school. I have to try harder, but now it's fully free. And that's when I moved into my spiritual like the better home that I was talking about earlier. I moved in and I could give God also a better home in here, right? And a dwelling place in my heart because he helped me to heal. He helped me to let go of the the performance mindset and the approval of man so that all that space that it took up in my heart could now be space for Jesus to fill it up. And, And so my reward was getting to wholeheartedly adventure with Jesus. Like I went to 11 countries. I did missions for a year and I, um, I got to just, yeah, be free and take risks and make mistakes without condemnation, you know, without fear. And the reward was Jesus himself, like his healing, his presence, his promises, his joy. Guys, he's a full package. When people say like, oh, I want Jesus. I want more of Jesus. And you're like, I don't really get what that means. What's so good about Jesus? Everything that's good is from him, guys. Everything that's good is from him. There's no good thing on this earth that, that is apart from God, right? He's He's all encompassing pleasure. He's everything you could have ever wanted and more than that. And so even when it's hard for me right now these days to focus and to get myself to settle into his presence, even when I'm leading a K1 set, honestly, like when I get there though, it's always worth it. It's always worth that surrender and the fight to get into his presence. And when I sacrifice myself fully, like the reward is Jesus himself. And it's not approval. It's not perfection. It's not feeling good about myself, about my accomplishments, All of those things are dead and they're temporary. They're not long lasting. Jesus is the only one that's like eternal and that's fully alive. And that's, um, he's the endless supply of goodness. Like I was just saying, everything good comes from him. And so, yeah, for me, realizing that Jesus was the reward, part of that actually, um, gave me even more breakthrough in that, in my family. Like part of the reward is actually that now that I'm in the kingdom and I have an inheritance, I actually have full faith that he's going to bring my stepmom in that I actually full faith. Like I've, I don't even doubt it. I just, I know it's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. And, um, but that faith was a gift from God. And that gift, that gift came only from knowing Jesus and enjoying Jesus. I couldn't have strived to get that faith. And so even the things that I had let go of and lost hope in, honestly, like my family situation, God is redeeming that. Jesus is redeeming that now because he is my reward. And, um, and so though I didn't understand back then what the order of things, like why, why is God doing this in this order? You know, like me being disowned and all this stuff. But now I see that God wanted to give me citizenship in heaven and authority in heaven so that I could help my family move in. Because like, you know how people move to Korea, I mean, America, and they're like, you know, they take their spouses and their relatives over, maybe not anymore right now in America's condition, but you know what I mean? Like they do that, but, but this is heaven guys. This is the kingdom. Like we're moving into the kingdom. And when we move into the kingdom, we get to be ambassadors. We get to then bring other people in. We're the gateway. Right. And so, yeah, like my simple question to you guys is what, thing do you need to surrender in order to enjoy the fullness of the reward, the reward, which is intimacy with Jesus. It's the unhindered intimacy with Jesus to move into his home and to make your heart a home for him. And, 
And I encourage you to push aside frustration and doubt and feelings of defeat, maybe even of apathy, right? And if you feel apathetic, if you feel any of those things, just ask Jesus to help you. Because it said, with man it's impossible, but with God it's possible. So ask God to help you to align your heart and to help you to surrender. Like, God, I can't. I'm weak. Admit it. I'm weak. But can you help me? And, um, yeah, so... Actually, tonight, later on, we're going to have this, a time of, uh, of some worship and of spontaneous singing. And we're going to actually meditate on Psalm 27. And Psalm 27 says this, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And this is going to be a really good prayer guide for you guys um, to seek him, to seek his face. And so even if you don't want it right now, like even, if you're just a tad curious, you're just like, okay, I kind of want to know what that's like. Then just be like, God, I want to want you. Like, I want to want this one thing. I want to want Jesus to be enough for me. If it's that good, if people say it's that good, then, then I want it too. Like, just show me a little bit of that tonight. You know, ask him that and be sincere in that because I believe he's not far. And I believe that he's anticipated this night. Like he's anticipated tonight, guys. He, he has it written in his books and he wants to encounter you guys. And so, yeah, he's, it's real. Like he wants to encounter you. And so, um, yeah, before we enter into that time of worship and meditation, I'm going to invite up pastor Susie actually to come and she's going to just explain a bit more of how to do it. Cause you're like, okay, I want it, but how, right? So she's going to explain more of how. Uh, once again, thank you so much for having us here. It's really a joy. It's an honor to be able to be here and share uh, what we're very passionate about. Before I actually get into uh, what I wanted to share very quickly, let me quickly introduce people that uh, we brought here with us. So you just heard Michelle Kwok. She's one of our full-time staff at Kingdom First Prayer Tabernacle. We also have Dean. Dean. Uh, yeah, so Dean has joined us today. We have Kristen Hendricks as well. Kristen Hendricks has joined us. And Judy Poyan. Judy Boyan as well. You, uh, you blended right in with the students. <laughs> I couldn't really see where you were. So this is, uh, these are just a few of our members that uh, we minister together at uh, a place called K1 Prayer Tabernacle. So Kingdom First Prayer Tabernacle. And the beauty of what Michelle was sharing just now is that all this is applicable whether or not you're called to ministry. You know what I mean? Like if you feel like the Lord has called you to medicine, if you feel like the Lord has called you to finances, to uh, entrepreneurship, if you give your all and if you surrender everything to Jesus and you have him as your first and foremost desire and longing, there is no way he's not going to allow your plans to prosper. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just like, all right, Jesus is only going to bless the people who are full-time ministers. Like, that's not how it works. Like, Jesus is so set on his kingdom being spread in all the nations that he's going to anoint sons and daughters, no matter what kind of calling they are in. As long as we surrender our everything to Jesus, uh, he's going to work mighty things through his sons and his daughters. So that's kind of the beauty of that story. It plays out in different ways in our lives. And just seeing Michelle being able to... Um, Worship so freely at our house of prayer, knowing her testimony in the background, the kind of cost, what she had to lay down in order for her to be able to do what she does. Uh, 
and see her not, not like holding it against Jesus. You know, it's not like, Lord, I gave you, you know, my, my family, I gave you all this kind of like in a grudging way. Like you owe me. It's not with that kind of a heart. It's more like, Lord, this is my sacrifice to you. And I'm so glad I made it. I have no regrets. And I know that you are worth everything that I've given up and even more being able to minister from that kind of heart. It inspires people around her to want to do the same, like whatever it is that we are clinging on to, whether it be, you know, our future career, whatever it is, like finally like prying open our hands and allowing the Lord to take that, uh, in, in that sense, that's why we call our house of prayer kingdom first. We believe we put the kingdom first and all else will be added onto us. It's not like, all right, I did my part. Where's my all else? Like, that's not the, the, the approach that we have. But it's like, I trust if I give my everything to you, my affections, my desires, my longing, my future, you're going to bless everything. You're going to bless everything. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, but it's going to be so worthwhile. And that is the conviction that we have in our hearts. Now, so uh, very quickly, I wanted to share with you just particularly what the House of Prayer ministry is about. A lot of people, they ask me a lot of questions because it's, um, you know, it's, it's sometimes we do use very like unique language to describe certain things. So House of Prayer ministry, um, it is a kind of ministry. It's a kind of ministry. It's not a local church. Uh, it's somewhat of a parachurch organization. And, uh, if you see here, uh, the passage that I have up here is from Amos nine 11. It's talking about something that's going to be happening as the end times come closer. So something like a phenomenon, a sign that's going to be happening in the nations as the end time comes closer. And it says this in that day, I'll restore David's fallen tent. I will repair its broken places, restore its ruins and build it as it used to be. Now, what, what David's fallen tent is referring to is David's tabernacle. So King David's tabernacle, which was a meeting, literally it was a tent, like an actual physical tent where people would know that they go in and they're able to meet with the Lord face to face. Now we don't see David's tabernacle anymore. It was long, it has long since been destroyed, but what we have happening actually it's not unique just at K1 house of prayer. It's happening all over the nations. And this is the crazy part that must be supernatural. Like nothing in our flesh wants to spend hours in prayer and worship. <laughs> nothing, like no matter how holy you are, no matter how religious and self-disciplined you are, there's nothing in your flesh that would want to be like, you know what? Today I wake up with this amazing desire to just lay before the Lord and, you know, just go deep into his word. Our flesh like battles against this every day of our lives. But something very unique that is happening right now in all of the nations is that there's a huge worldwide movement of houses of prayer being raised up. Many of them are 24 seven houses of prayer. So day and night, there's somebody who's worshiping and interceding in a designated consecrated place that they call, you know, a house of prayer. So if you go to a certain city, we go to Atlanta, like Atlanta in the middle of Georgia in, in the United States at 3 a.m. There's going to be somebody worshiping the Lord at 5:30 in the afternoon when people are grabbing dinner, there's going to be somebody there interceding for who knows, Korea, Israel. They're going to be interceding and worshiping the Lord's presence. And this is happening all over the world. Now I cannot express to you what a supernatural move of the Holy spirit. This is because if it was left up to us and our clever strategies, this would never fly. 
Like we cannot, even in our best intentions, make this happen. It has to be the Lord initiating it, like grabbing a hold, especially of young people, grabbing a hold of their hearts and almost like obsessing them with this vision to see the name of Jesus being glorified 24 seven in their city. Like it's really crazy because young people, that's the last thing you want to do. (laughs) You feel like you have so many better places to be at and like spend your time in. But the Lord is doing something very supernatural across the nations. And this is just a sign of the things that are to come. And so I just anticipate this movement even growing more and more. And it's not a movement that competes with other ministries, like doesn't compete with what churches are doing. But what we're seeing happen is that through the house of prayer ministry, churches are being strengthened. And that's like something so wonderful to see God doing in all the nations. So one of the premises of house of prayer ministry is this belief. And it sounds crazy, but This is the belief that is like the foundation of house of prayer ministry. It is one glimpse, getting one glimpse of who God is will change everything for you. It's not just like one principle. It's not just like one Bible verse, but getting to see the worth of Jesus for yourself Getting to taste that for yourself is going to change everything about you. Your ability to remain faithful even when things get hard. Your ability to see uh, your work as your calling. Your ability to, in the midst of trials and persecution, and even when your family is against what you believe in, in the midst of all that, just knowing that one glimpse of the beauty, the worth, the supremacy, the glory of Jesus is able to change everything for you. And that is the foundation for house of prayer ministry. And so we do everything in our power to mobilize and facilitate this. So we come together and we worship and we pray all in an effort not to be diligent, not an effort to show God, like just how devoted we are, but it's with this heart of like, Jesus, I I need to see you. I need to see, I need to know who you are. Open up your word to me, open up your heart to me, show me who I am, speak to me. And it's this this desire for one-on-one, like face-to-face, firsthand encounter with God. And that is what has a power to completely revolutionize your life. So if we look at uh, the next slide, let me quickly just explain the mechanics behind it, if I may, just so to, to dispel a little bit of the mystery behind it. So there's different ways to engage with God in a house of prayer style setting. And the first is devotional, in the devotional style. So all that means is freely and spontaneously worshiping the Lord with an emphasis on adoration. So we have this crazy belief that as impractical as it sounds, sitting in your seat not doing anything like productive per se, but sitting in your seat, like fighting against every distraction, fixing your eyes on Jesus and telling him over and over again, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, you're worthy. You're beautiful. You're magnificent. And just adoring him. There's no agenda behind it. Just simply adoring him for who he is. That is this crazy belief that we have that that is a good use of our time. Like even if it's never going to show up on your resume, even though you're never going to have practical steps one, two, and three to be able to, you know, walk out on coming out of that. We know that every minute spent in adoration of the Lord, simply telling him that he's worthy. 
I'm not going to get anything out of it. Like I'm not here to like convince you to bless me or anything. I just simply want to adore you. And that is how we spend a lot of our time in just devotional worship. Second is worship in the word. So using the word as a gateway into hearing his voice. So letting the word pierce us. So the Bible that we often uh, kind of, you know, take as like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, this Genesis, Exodus, and like, we feel like it's just a book, but there's, we believe that the word of God is living and active and God is able to speak to us through it. That one word from the mouth of God is able to shift everything in us, our understanding, our knowledge, our heart, our emotions, our longings. All this is able to happen as we allow the word to pierce us. So how this plays out when we just engage in worship in the word is we take a passage of scripture and we just, we don't rush through it. We don't say, all right, God, you have 10 seconds. Come on, speak to me through this verse. If you don't speak up in 10 seconds, I'm moving on to the next verse. No, no, we have to sit under, submit ourselves to the power of God's word. So even if it is just one phrase, just one simple phrase, imagine you're thinking about, uh, you know, Psalm 27, One thing have I asked of the Lord. This alone will I seek. And he just sit under that verse. One thing above all else, above my grades, above my future, above my family, above my future marriage, my family. um, There's just one thing in the sea of all these other things that I desire. And this is the one thing at the end of the day that I want to ask of you, Lord. This is the one thing that I desire. And just going deeper and deeper into just one verse. It's almost like you pinpoint a verse and then you just begin to dig and then you dig and you go deeper and deeper and allow the verse to come to life. So that is worship in the word. Sometimes we speak it out. Sometimes we sing it out. There's power when you actually sing out the word of God. And oftentimes because of our embarrassment, we kind of don't allow ourselves to do that in public. Even in private, you feel like a little bit like a crazy person. If you're like in your room alone and, and you hear your roommate saying like, I love you, Lord, with all my heart and all my soul. And they're singing off tune and like you feel like it's annoying. And you feel like that's something to be embarrassed about, you know? And oftentimes it's our embarrassment that will not allow us to just explore. And anyway, it's not for people anyway, you know, it's for the Lord, right? So there's power in singing the word back to the Lord in like repackaging it and digging deeper, even as you're singing through the word. So it's worship in the word. Another kind of way that we, uh, engage with God is also intercession through the word. So we actually take the word. Once we've allowed it to pierce us, we turn around and we take that double edged sword and we use it as a weapon of warfare. So the word of God is powerful and effective, not just in our lives, but also to mobilize things and change things in the world. So imagine we're praying for, we're going to take a time later on tonight to pray for us and you. Imagine you take God's living and active double-edged sword of the word, and we begin to turn this around and use it as intercession for us and you. When we say, on that day, your sons and daughters were prophesied. This is from Job. And we take that verse, that 
double-edged sword and we turn it into intercession and we begin to declare the truth of God's word over SNU. We begin to say on that day, Lord, we will see your sons and your daughters prophesying here in SNU. Every son and daughter that you've called, we're going to see them engaging with your word. We're going to see them filled with the spirit and you begin to take that one verse and turn it into intercession. So this great power in not just using your human words, but actually using the word of God to intercede. It also makes it easier for us. You know, sometimes we don't know what to pray. And that's when you open up your Bible and you use it as intercession. Now, the last way after you've allowed your, uh, your, the word of God to pierce you and then use that as a weapon of warfare, we also engage in intercession. So from a place of intimacy, we declare God's heart for the nation or for whatever prayer topic we're engaging in. So one example of this, for example, uh, one topic that we uh, regularly pray for at uh, K1 Has a Prayer is Israel. Now, I don't know about you guys, but nothing in me was like, yes, we get to pray for Israel. Like, I knew very little about Israel. And I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, why not, you know, why not Mozambique? Or, you know, why not? You know, like eeny, meeny, miny, mo. It could be anything. Like, why? I, I can't force myself to get excited over Israel. Like, I just have zero desire to pray for Israel. And so, the good news is that when you tap into God's heart, He will give you His heart for the nation. Like, it's not your responsibility to work up this passion and the zeal for something that you have no heart for. All you have to do is tap into God's zealous, jealous heart for that nation. And you have more than enough material, you know, for you to intercede from that place. So there's a beauty in this. He just wants you to engage with the things that are on his heart and in his heart. And from that place, interceding, not with your just flesh and your good intentions, but from the heart and the desire of the Lord. There's so much power interceding in this way and encourage you. This is the way that I'm hoping that you will be interceding for us and you as well for your campus, for Emmaus, for your local churches. You don't have to work yourself up into a frenzy to get you to pray these passionate prayers. You simply have to ask the Lord, how do you feel? Lord, what is your desire for us and you? Lord, what is your longing to see revival break out in this campus? Lord, how, how much do you want to see students in this campus get so filled with the spirit that wherever it is that you're going to send them after graduation, they're going to be a salt and a light wherever they are. Like all you have to do is pray and tap into that heart of God that is already burning for it. And you're going to have something to pray through and pray from. So those are four different ways in which we engage in a house, uh, house of prayer style of setting. Now, uh, why do we do it this way? And I'm just going to very quickly go through six points of why, why this particular style, why this method. The first is it attacks a spoon feeding mentality. Like sometimes we're just waiting for someone to take the word, digest it for us, then regurgitate it and kind of like make a nice platter for us and then serve it to us. But in this way, you're not allowed to be spoon fed. You have to take the word for yourself. Like you have to open up your Bible and wrestle with it for a while. It's something that's hard at times, but you need to be able to engage with a word without having a preacher up in the front, without having somebody like, you know, break things down for you all the time. We eventually in our spiritual walk, we have to learn to not be spoon fed. We have to learn to feed ourselves and eventually also to feed other people as well. So it doesn't allow you to just sit back and be spoon fed. 
Like it doesn't allow for that. Just this particular style. Second is it attacks the religious spirit. This is so fascinating to me because when you're going like in the second hour, like at the hour mark of a two hour watch or service, you know, that we are pressing into God's presence at the hour mark, somebody sitting there will be like, I've said, I love you, Jesus. And I've said all these things for an hour now. Like, what have I done with my life for the last hour? Like, was that leading to anything good? You know, will this, does it amount to everything, anything important? And so the religious spirit says this, if you're not doing something for the Lord, you know, if you're not tangibly doing something for the Lord, it's worthless. Like it's all about external works. It's all about what do you have to show for it? You know, like you have to be almost like busy and miserable to really love the Lord Jesus. And if you're enjoying his presence for an hour, it's like, I don't know, maybe you don't really love Jesus. Maybe you're really indulgent and lazy, but it completely confronts this mindset. You cannot afford to be religious when you're singing. I love you, Jesus. Nothing else. Like, it's not even like I'm praying for a revival. You know, you're just saying, Jesus, you're worthy. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, you're everything that I dreamed of it even more. Jesus, you're so worth everything that I gave up. You know, just adoring Jesus is so going to confront the religious spirit in you and in people around you. So sometimes I have people that ask me like, so what do you do? Like, what's your work? And I'm like, well, I do house of prayer ministry. And they're like, what does that mean? And then I explain to them and they're like, uh, you get paid for that? Like, <laughs> like that's your job. <laughs> like you get to like worship and so, I mean, what do you do that's like productive that, you know, you know what I mean? They kind of are hinting at this thing of like, <laughs> all right, I'm not talking about your devotional life. Like, what are you actually working? You know? And I'm like, no, no, no. This is actually very productive as well. It's very practical as well to adore the Lord. And it's something that pleases him as well. So it's really attacking the religious spirit. Third is it attacks our passive habits. And we're all guilty of this at one time or another. Like, we just want to like, look, just let me be, you know, just let me soak or I'm going to call it soaking or, you know, like, just let me like feed me something and I'll just spectate for a while. But it attacks our passive habits. It forces you to engage with the word and forces you to engage with the Holy Spirit. Even as somebody, oftentimes I'm like leading a set. So I'm leading worship and I'm leading prayer. And the Lord on Wednesday morning at 8.20 in the morning, when my flesh is very strong at that hour in the morning, uh, and I'm getting ready to lead a set, I feel like the Lord confronts me in moments like that when my flesh is very strong. And he says, you know, like, do you actually believe this stuff that you're singing? Like, do you actually want to see me today? Like, you want to meet with me today? I'm like, ah, talk to me later. Talk to me like in 20 minutes. I'm just not, not in the right place right now. But you're confronted of your passive habits. Like I could probably go through a two hour set, just going through the motions. I could do that, you know, if I wanted to, but the Lord just will not allow me to do that. He says, you're going to be here for two hours. Might as well engage. Might as well. Like, let's talk. Let's talk. You're here anyway. Let's talk. I have something to say to you. I have, I have something that I want to hear from you as well. Like let's engage. It's almost like, imagine I'm sitting in front of Dean for two hours and I'm like, all right, I'm going to talk into the air, but I don't need to like actually connect with you. I just want you to just sit there and listen and take it. You know, <laughs> you know, how would you feel? You'd be like, are you serious? We're, we're talking anyways. Might as well, you know, connect. It's kind of like that feeling. So it's going to attack your passive habits. Number four, it's going to attack your misconceptions of God's word. This 
there's something very deep inside of us that says, yeah, the word of God is good, but is it fun? You know what I mean? Like, is it, is it like, is there a lot to like, you know, I've dug into this verse, like for the last seven minutes, I don't think I can get anything out of it anymore. Like I dug everything else that I dug everything as much as there is to dig. I dug, you know? Um, so there's a part of us that feels like God's word is either boring or it's limited. Like I've, I dug for seven minutes and I think I've completely exposed everything that God meant to say through this verse in all of history, like seven minutes did it for me. Uh, so we feel like there's like a, a finite kind of characteristic of God's word, which is completely a lie. You know, there's people who have been studying the Bible for ages and centuries and they still haven't gone to the bottom of it. And that's the beauty of God's word. It just keeps going. It's like a bottomless pit. And so any misconception of God's word, even like, Deep inside of us, we also feel like it's just words. It's just like a book. Like, what's the, what's the difference? It's like, I have like the Hobbit here and I have the Bible here. It's just the same. It's like, they're made of paper. It's words that are printed on a page. Uh, but there's deep inside of us something that says like, it's just words. Like what, you know, like, yeah, maybe we can meditate on this, but is there actual power, like raw power intrinsically in the word of God? And there's a belief in us that's like, well, I don't know about that. So it completely attacks that misconception of God's word. Like if I'm going to dig here into this verse for the next two hours, and I'm going to come out of the two hours thinking, oh my goodness, I had no idea what this verse was about. All right. Okay. Now after two hours, I understand everything about this verse. And then come next week, you're still in that same verse. And like after two hours, you're like, okay, okay, now... Now I know everything about this verse. Last week I thought I knew, but now, no, I didn't know, but now I really know. Uh, and God keeps doing that to you. God is going to continue to do that to you with God's word. It's like a limitless resource and God is always going to breathe fresh life on his word. Five is it attacks our misconception of God's character. If we believe in the heart of our hearts, that God like wants devotion, but he doesn't really like us, you know, like he doesn't want to meet us. Like he wants like us, like as a collective, but he doesn't really like me, like Susie Park. Like he's not sitting there on Wednesday morning saying like, I can't wait for Susie Park to come into this room and, uh, begin to lift up, you know, worship to me. Like for me, it's like, I bet God is up there thinking like, I can't wait for y'all, you know, y'all as a collective to give me the worship that I deserve. Finally, you know, like if there's a part of me that believes that God doesn't love me individually, personally, he's not taking note of the fact that I personally am worshiping him and he's waiting for my worship that day. If I don't have that belief, then like, it's so it's so hard to engage in this kind of ministry long-term, but if there's this understanding that God cares about your worship, like, like your particular worship, the song that you have to give to him that day is like a unique song that has never been sung before in all of eternity and will never be sung again in all of eternity. So this is the one sacrifice, one offering that you're giving to me right now. And it matters to me. Like my ear is leaning towards you and the words of devotion that you're speaking to me, they move my heart. If we understand God's character in this way, like there's no stopping you then. Like, I can't wait to get into God's presence and I'm going to tell him all about my day and what my brother did to me. And then, you know, you're like, you're ready to engage with the Lord because you know that he's listening and he's waiting for you as well. And finally it confronts us with our inner life. Like oftentimes 
we feel like we can get away with a lot, you know, like if we look Christian, we sound Christian, uh, we smell Christian, uh, like people will believe that, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, we're doing okay in a Christian walk. Uh, but there's no hiding, you know, when you're just in front of the Lord, you have nothing to prove to anybody. Nobody's saying like, Oh, Dean showed up today again. Oh, like brownie points. No, nobody's going to be taking account of that except the Lord. He's going to be like, Dean, I saw you that Thursday, you know, November the 30th on, you know, at 8 PM, even though you had a lot of work to do, you chose to come and worship me that night. And God is the only one taking note. God is the one who's ministered by that. Um, and it shows something about your inner life, building up a reservoir inside of you. It's not going to be shown in your resume. It's not going to be outwardly shown, but it's building up riches in your inner man. Like your understanding, your love for the Lord. It begins to almost like carve out this reservoir in you. And people who, I don't know if you've experienced this, but sometimes you talk to people and you know, you talk to person A and they're like, yeah, you know, like God loves me and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, okay, that's cool. And then you meet person B and they say, God loves me, but there's like something behind it. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's a story behind it. There's history there. And the way that they say it somehow, like you actually believe them, you know, because there's substance behind it. And I believe like whenever I meet people like that, I'm like, this person, whether they, I know them or not, I know that they've been investing in their inner life. They've been investing in their devotional time with the Lord. Whether people know it or not, like they have been seeking him in the secret place. This is somebody that actually knows God, not, doesn't just know about him, but actually has seen him, has experienced him, has like marveled and savored his word. Like you, you not only know people like that, but you want to become that person when you meet people like that. And that's why this kind of one-on-one engagement with the Lord, it confronts us with our inner life. Sometimes our inner life is a mess, but everything on the outside looks good. And we don't, um, we don't want, uh, that to be a substitute. It's a very poor substitute. Uh, so these are just six different ways Uh, six different reasons why we engage the Lord in this way in house of prayer ministry. Now, this is the practical part. We're going to take a time in Psalm 27. So Psalm 27 is a very rich Psalm and we're going to, we're going to put into practice everything that I just talked about. So shifting your mind into believing, okay, Psalm 27, I've read it like 370 times, but I haven't gotten to the end of it. You know, you need to begin to believe, okay, Psalm 27 is going to not just be words on a page, but the Holy Spirit is going to breathe fresh life on it. It's going to be living and active, a double-edged sword. So we're going to take time. Just for time's sake, let's say we're going to take 30 minutes, 30 minutes in Psalm 27, and we're going to have Michelle and Judy uh, just lead in worship and even spontaneous, uh, spontaneous songs and, um, just singing through the word as well. But I want everybody in this room to just engage with the word, allow, you know, what's happening on stage, allow that to just set a platform and an atmosphere where you're able to, in your seat, be able to encounter the Lord through the word.
Does that make sense? So I'll just open us up in prayer and we're going to spend the next 30 minutes actually engaging with the word of God. If you're feeling sleepy, I encourage you like stand up. There's no like uh, right or wrong way to do it. So like some people, they need to stand up and they're pacers. Like I know JP is a pacer. Like he like fiercely paces with the word. And that's how like he engages, like not just his mind, but his physical body needs to be moving. If that's you like pace, if you need to sit on the floor, you can do that. Even if it's a little bit cold, you need to move around or be in, on your own, uh, you know, corner, you can do that as well, but I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to go into Psalm 27. Father, we trust that there are rewards to be won, and there's pleasure and delight to be had in your presence. We refuse to believe that your word is boring. We refuse to believe that your company and your presence in our midst is something for us to take for granted. We refuse to believe that there's a limited amount of knowledge, a limited amount of breakthrough for us to get in your presence. But we choose to believe tonight that your word is going to speak to us, that your spirit will minister to us, that your word will be open to us, that our eyes and our ears and our heart will come alive in your presence and through your word. So I pray, Father, that your spirit of wisdom and revelation will be upon us as we go deep into your word. Would you begin to open up our mouths and engage in worship, open up our minds to be able to grasp the riches of glory in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I pray, Father, that as we war against our flesh, as we war against any of our passive habits or our misconceptions of who you are and what your word is, I pray, God, that you be breathing fresh life into us. We thank you, Father, for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.